Spirit of the Living God, we come to you in our humanness with all of its brokenness, and we breathe in grace, freely and joyfully given to us through Jesus, and we breathe out the inner critic that puts us to shame. Jesus, we desire connection with you in our disjointed lives, and so we breathe in your fullness and authority over all things, and we breathe out our own grip for control. Father, we trust you are who you say you are, so we breathe in your love that draws us closer to you, and we breathe out isolation that keeps us at a distance. And together with the body of Christ, we breathe in oneness, that we are one in you and you are in us, and we breathe out loneliness. We breathe in oneness, and we breathe out loneliness. We breathe in oneness, and we breathe out loneliness. Amen. To you, great to be with you today. Uh, Good morning to you if you are online or joining us in the concourse or where you may be. We're really glad you're here. Hey, I'm gonna just tell you a very quick story. It connects into the Night to Shine event. I think many of you know that the ministry that Hope offers to people with special needs, it's kind of a signature expression of our church and it's just beautiful in so many ways. So when I was in college, I was a brand new Christian. I don't really know how this all came about, but I realized that whenever I was around somebody or near somebody who had special needs, somebody with Down syndrome, somebody with whatever kind of special needs, I always felt really nervous, frankly, and very anxious. And because of that, I would tend to avoid those people. And I thought, you gotta deal with this. So I called the campus YMCA And I said, hey, do you have any opportunities to care for people with special needs? And they said, sure. They said, we have a number of these opportunities. They said, what level of disability are you feeling that you would like to uh, come into? And not really knowing what I was saying, I said, the highest level. (laughs) Because I'm like, you got to deal with this, dude. And so the woman on the phone said, okay, I'll call you back. She called me back and she said, here's the name and number of a gentleman who uh, leads an organization which was a residential home for people who had severe disabilities. And um, here's his name and number, you call him if you'd like to pursue it. So I called him, I went out for some training experiences, and for several years, once a month, I made about a 20 mile drive from Chapel Hill to Butner, North Carolina, and I spent time with two particular men in their 20s who had severe disabilities. First couple of times I went, I was so anxious, I was about to jump out of my skin. And by the time it was over, I was so grateful in so many ways. So why do I tell you that? Because maybe you may have some of those same feelings, which are understandable. And Night to Shine is a great small little way to step in and care for people. It's a beautiful expression of the gospel. Okay. So we're moving along in our series on prayer. 
Today I would call a 300 level class. But it'll be a piece of cake because a couple weeks ago it was 100 level, last week was 200 level, so this will be, you know, seamless acquisition. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for your beauty. Thank you for your glory. Thank you that you are. Thank you that you've created us and given us life, and thank you that you have invited us to know you personally and to receive life from you and to give our lives to you and thereby to grow into increasing intimacy with you as children of God. So, Lord, all of us gathered today, our story is each unique, the threads and the fabric of our lives rendering a picture that is unique. We come before you today, and we ask you to meet with us, move us toward your love through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. An interesting thought about prayer is nobody has to pray. Nobody tells you you must pray. It's not as though your physical life depends on it. But spiritual life will have very high connections to our prayer lives. But it's not like you have to do it. Nobody is telling us you must do this. In fact, most of the time what we begin to learn as we develop in our prayer lives is Prayers that are the result of an obligation, like somebody telling us, you must do this. Maybe that's been a part of your experience one way or another, and we could all appreciate that. But when praying gets good, it's moving from obligation to desire. And so we're going to take a look at John chapter 17 today. This is a picture of Jesus himself praying. So if we just step back for a minute and we're like all going to be in the classroom together this morning, the first thought that strikes me is, boy, do we have an opportunity to learn from the master because we are going to observe and bring our attention to Jesus Christ himself. And if we want to learn from the master, we'd be thinking, what is it that he's saying? What kind of vision does he have in his mind? What do we learn about his relationship with God in the words that he says? What do we learn about what matters to him and what he cares about? Because we're going to hear all that in what he's praying about. So we have an opportunity to learn from the master. Last week I said that that sermon was about lordship praying. In some ways I think this week is about the character of prayer. And we're going to see this from Jesus Christ. So here's a question. Why would Jesus pray? Maybe you don't think of this stuff the way I do, but my first question is, why would Jesus pray? I mean, he's God in the flesh. Doesn't it all just happen through some telepathic something? Why does he pray? And what we begin to see is that primarily Jesus prays to pursue intimacy with his Father in heaven. I think we all know that whenever we pray, we're not actually informing God of something that he doesn't know about, right? God is omniscient. He knows everything. We think we know a lot, but compared to what God knows, we know very little. So it is often ironic, isn't it, when we're praying, we're sort of informing God, hey, God, did you know, and did you know if, and if this happens, this might happen, 
right? It kind of makes you smile like the old phrase, it's hard to inform an omniscient being. Okay, so it's not that we need to inform him, but when we bring our concerns to him, that can create some meaningful, deep connections, and that's great. So sometimes I think of this question about why would Jesus pray? It's a little bit like the first time I read in the Bible that Jesus was baptized. I'm like, why would Jesus be baptized? I think of baptism as our expression of seeking God's forgiveness for our sins, our dying to ourselves, our being raised to new life with him. So why would Jesus be baptized? Well, Jesus is baptized as an expression of his devotion, as an expression of his servanthood to the Father, as an expression that his identity is completely wrapped up in God's love for him, and also that he is human, fully God, fully man, so he has the ability to identify with us even though he doesn't need the forgiveness of sin. All right, so why was he baptized? Good question. Why would he pray? Good question. I think we'll get some lenses into this. This is John chapter 17. Jesus is praying. It's almost like, ready? Class is in session. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, Though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I may myself may be in them. The word in appears so many times in this prayer. The idea that Jesus is in us, that he's in the Father, that the Father is in him, that we are in him and he in us, and that all of this is a picture of the unity of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A unity that is so rich that it is as though they are within each other. Right, so don't get too wigged out or new agey about it. What I mean is, for instance, if you know somebody deeply, deeply, deeply and have a deep, deep love, you know that in a very real way, even though it's a kind of spiritual, relational way, they're in you because of the depth of the connection and the history of our experiences and the love and the ups and the downs and all of that, they're in you. You've got, you name it, Your father is in you to a certain degree. Your mother is in you to a certain degree. I think you get it. Okay. So why would Jesus pray? Why would he be baptized? Because of this deep relational 
union with God the Father. And this is going to be the invitation into our praying today. We don't have to pray. It's not required of us. It's an invitation. Jesus' foundation and his picture and his praying is about unity with God. This deep, deep unity. And if that deep unity with God is the nature of the Trinity, then he's praying that the believers, those who say yes to Jesus and live in him and in his legacy, would also experience this kind of unity. And now all of a sudden we're being invited into quite a different picture of what it means to be the people of God, right? What it means to be the church, that if we really are growing in this intimacy with God, we're growing in this deep unity with him, we have this deep growing unity in our heart's concern with one another. Luke chapter 3 gives us this picture when Jesus was baptized. It says, one day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. This is the voice of the Father to the Son as he's expressing his union with the Father through the experience of his baptism. Other English translations say it something like this. You are my son whom I love and in whom is all my delight. What I want to say today is that the invitation of 300 level praying is to grow into that. You are my daughter, you are my son whom I love and in whom is all my delight. The more we grow into that, the more transformed we will become as human beings. The more we begin to grow into God's love, the greater our desire for him will be. The greater our desire for him is, the more we will be pursuing him in prayer and growing into his love. And the more we are growing into his love, the greater our desire will be for him. And the greater our desire, the more we will pursue him in this kind of praying. And on this beautiful upward cycle of growing love advances. Tim Keller speaks about this love and he says that love, he's speaking of the love of Jesus Christ, whose obedience is wide and long and high and deep enough to dissolve a mountain of rightful wrath is the love you have been looking for all your life. No family love, no friend love, no mother love, no spousal love, no romantic love, nothing could possibly satisfy you like that. This is what we're being invited into now when we get to this kind of 300 level praying. All right, so here's what I want to do. A little bit of a picture of different levels of praying. I'm going to call it, you know, one-dimensional, two-dimensional, and three-dimensional praying. Okay, they're just pictures. They're just little snapshots of kind of understanding and growing as we move here. Because as we begin to embrace the depth of God's love for us, and this ascending spiral begins to take root in our hearts, we begin to grow into an understanding of God's love that's a little bit like Paul is describing in Romans 8. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. 
Okay, so let's talk about one-dimensional, two-dimensional, and three-dimensional praying. Okay, the first one, one-dimensional praying, I'm going to call that, this is the kind of praying when we're just kind of shooting prayers up toward heaven. And we may not be terribly focused on our praying. We might be in the car. You might be driving down Broad Street or Midlothian Turnpike, and you're, you're just shooting prayers up to heaven. We're not terribly focused. We're not terribly immersed in it. We're sort of ping, ping, throwing up prayers to heaven. And, and that's okay. It's not like that's a bad thing to do. It just helps to understand what it is. It's kind of one-dimensional praying. To put it in our modern communication form, I'd call that texting. That's praying by texting God. Fire off some text to him, right? And then we're going to lie to Siri and say, no, I'm not driving, right? We're all liars. And so then we're going to fire off text prayers to God. And... If you go with the metaphor, they sort of land in God's text inbox. And we're sort of doing this thing and we're firing texts. It is communication. There is value in that. And if God loves us with the depths that the Bible clarifies that he does, if he is our father in heaven, like most parents, we love to hear from our kids. You love to hear from your kids. So I'll take a text over nothing but you long for even more than that, right? Okay, so one-dimensional praying is kind of me on the move, throwing thoughts and requests heavenward, it's kind of texting. Two-dimensional praying is stopping and setting space apart to speak with God, almost as though we're kind of across a table having a conversation. It's richer, more personal, more set apart than texting praying. It's kind of a level two praying. I'd call that the phone call version of praying. So if level one was the text, hey, you know, I text back, great to hear from me, how are you doing? We're gonna text. We're gonna communicate in text at a rather superficial level, but we'll take that over no communication at all. Level two would be a phone call. So then we're on the phone and we're talking on the phone and it's richer, there's more, there's tone of voice, there's greater connection. Hopefully the time is set apart, right? Because we all know when you've been on the phone with somebody and they're doing something else while they're on the phone, and you can tell by the way the phone call's going that you don't have one another's full attention. So two-dimensional praying is setting apart time and speaking with God, okay? So Many times when we get together with our kids now, our kids are adults, we'll come away from that time, a holiday or whatever it might be, and my wife will say, I just wish there was more deeper, richer conversation. And I'm like, yep, I, I get that. But you can't force that most of the time. If you press for it and force it, you're likely to get the opposite result of what you're hoping for. But if the point I'm making is, if that's the heart that we have with our children, that there would just be deeper, richer connecting, how much more would God have that heart toward us and in our praying? Okay, then we'll go to three-dimensional praying. I'm gonna call this immersive praying, where I have made a protected place and time, and I am entering into God's love and presence as though the Trinity is a place, and the three of them create a circle 
where I'm invited right into the middle of the three of them. And I will be surrounded by the love that is always moving among the Trinity. I'm invited in. And in setting apart that place and entering that protected time and space, I am coming into prayer where God is around me and I am entering into him and by his spirit, he is in me. This is now three-dimensional praying. It's the best kind. It's not the only kind. The other kinds have their place and God desires them. But it's this kind of invitation into the three-dimensional praying, into a different intimacy with God, where in the used-to-be kind of praying, my praying is the result of my frantic living, and I'm praying one-dimensional praying, and I'm firing off texts to God, to growing toward this intimacy and this union with God, growing further into experiencing his glory, now I'm praying increasingly that way and my living is less frantic because my praying is leading to intimacy and unity and glory. My interior world is less frantic because I'm moving closer into this intimacy. Eugene Peterson, in a book he wrote about the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, said, Jeremiah teaches us that dominated by appetite and impulse, your lives are empty of commitment, purpose, continuity. You are frantic and busy, rushing here and there, wherever there is the slightest suggestion that you might satisfy something or another. But you are not camels and donkeys in the rutting season. You are persons with a capacity for faithfulness. Isn't it time to start living like it? And here's what I'd like to invite you into as a definition of faithfulness. Depending on your background, many of you think of the word faithfulness and you're like, faithfulness means don't mess it up. Faithfulness means don't turn my back on God. Don't have some great moral breach. Don't fail his name. Okay, well enough, but an invitation to don't will never grow our hearts to this intimacy with God. So here's an alternative definition of faithfulness I would invite you to consider. Our faithfulness is pursuing a growing intimacy and union with God. Okay, so knowing this love that he has for us, wanting to grasp it. I hope you're paying attention to the words, right? I'm not saying knowing we've grasped it. I'm saying knowing we know of it and we want to grasp it. Grasp it we begin to enter into this Trinity love. The Holy Spirit in me and me entering into the presence of the Trinity. I'm beginning to pray knowing what Colossians 1.27 increasingly means. Paul says, to them God's chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Jesus is praying unity, intimacy, and glory, and they're all bundled together as the way he enters into prayer. Note that he's praying for this deep unity. Note that he's also praying for you and me. Have you considered that in this verse? He says that I am praying, Lord, for those that will believe through them. He's praying in a way that would help the apostles know that their ministry is at the headwaters of bringing people to life. 
And downstream are the generations of believers that will believe as a result of them. That's us. And if you are a person who intentionally seeks to serve Christ with your life, you too are a person of heaven's headwaters. And in heaven, you will one day find those who arrive there in the legacy of your life of faith. And so this is what Jesus is praying about. It's what matters to him. It's what seems to care about. So I'm going to close today with like a little prayer parable. It's just one picture of an invitation into praying more deeply, more transparently, more honestly into God's love. And then uh, my hope is that we'll come to the communion table experience as one woven together message. This is a prayer parable. This is a picture of growing in prayer. I'm going to make this parable me praying to God about a person that I'm having a hard time with. Then I decided, what am I going to name this person? And I thought, just about any name I could come up with, somebody at Hope is going to think I'm talking about them. (laughs) So I'm going with Nigel, because I don't know any Nigels at Hope. And we'll just picture Nigel as some British guy. Okay, we're entering into prayer, and here's how we go. Lord, I lift up Nigel to you. David, why are you lifting up Nigel to me? Are you wanting my blessing in his life? Uh, Well, no, Lord, I lift up Nigel to you because I'm having a hard time with him. Why are you having a hard time with him? Lord, because he frustrates me. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. Praying at that level is managed positioning with no real growth. But God will always invite us to something deeper because no relationship can grow to real intimacy when it's managed and manufactured positioning. So God says, David, why does he frustrate you? Because I don't like him. Why do you not like him? Because I'm jealous of him. Why do you suppose you're jealous of him? Because he has abilities and gets attention that I don't get. And what does that make you feel? It makes me want what he has. Does that mean that you feel some level of emptiness in yourself or in my love for you? Well, Lord, I do feel empty and inadequate many times. David, I would like to invite you to go on a journey with me into receiving the depths of my love. Would you like to go on that journey with me? Is that journey going to be hard, Lord? It may be hard, but the hard will be far, far outweighed by the beauty as you continue to discover the depths of my love. It will come through praying in intimacy and growing in unity and discovering my glory. Let's pray as we come to the table.
Father in heaven, so many reasons that we may pray prayers that are just managed positioning with you. Would you help us trust you enough to move through those superficial words of managed positioning to the honest words of what's truly inside of us? And would you help us trust your love so that in giving you those honest words, we begin to feel the flood of your deep love for us beyond anything we ever could have imagined. And so Lord, as we come to this communion table today, as you give us this sacrament, this picture, that when we ingest these elements, we are saying, we do want you in us. Just Jesus, as you had prayed in John 17, those many years ago. Would you meet us at this table, we pray. Amen.